What does that? <sighs> what does that do for you? Just to it, just to hear it. That sound is so evocative. What about this one? Yes. That little. Huh. I'm so pumped up right now. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Yes, listeners. Now, if you know that sound, then you are excited for this episode. We okay. We got it. Okay, friends, my name is Brian Doak, and I finally finished Battlestar Galactica. My name is Leah Payne, and I finished Battlestar Galactica <laughs> over 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> we, for, for long-time listeners of the show know that beginning in the summer of 2020, mm-hmm. I, Brian, began watching Battlestar Galactica. As kind of like a pandemic coping mechanism, I believe. Totally. <laughs> and I'd recommended it for... As long as I've known you, probably. Totally. And we did a very bizarre season, like a distance season early in the pandemic. Oh. And I mentioned there that I did not like Starbuck as a character. And I <sighs> actually got comments from people just out of the blue. <laughs> people just seeing you on the street. People that I wouldn't normally contact me were like, hey, I heard you. Oh, so what's wrong with Starbuck? Oh, yeah. Because I am a staunch Katie Sackoff. Starbucks she's an, she's an Oregonian, she right? She is. I can totally yeah. tell. She kind of, in she's a way, she looks gal. like you. You look like her. I think that, I think that you guys are. <gasps> what? That's the biggest compliment ever. Oh, I'm absolutely. not nearly as tough oh, as come she on. is, put, but put, put, I wish I was. Put it side by side and, you know, and, <laughs> I would she, and, die. She, and she appeared in the in the Mandalorian as well in the oh last couple of episodes. Gosh, they brought her back. She's had an amazing um, career. I'm just a huge fan of her work. Uh, yeah. Katie Sackoff, I love you. So I said that I didn't like her <laughs> and I didn't like her anymore as the show went on, but I did appreciate her character more. But anyway, well, I did, I did finish. Let's just put this out there though. Did, were you invested in the original Battlestar Galactica, the cheesy? No. Okay. See, so I think if you had watched that as a child, like I did, mm-hmm. you would appreciate the gender flip. Okay. Of of Starbucks. I'm just putting that out there, but we can talk a little yeah, bit more about that the real, another time. The hardcore fans will get into that. <laughs> yeah, it was a pandemic coping thing. It was we, we had a friend living with us at the time named Javier who tragically died last summer. And we started watching it with him because he was like, he watched it a long time beforehand. And he was like, yeah, we should rewatch it. It's cool. And like, and he and I would always talk about you guys how would always talk we about were going to tra- change your mind about You're going to change my mind. And I actually, <laughs> I fell asleep during some of the early episodes, which is oh. not a thing I even do often. My dad used to fall asleep while watching TV all oh, the yeah, time. That's a classic dad, classic dad. dad move. And I was like, I will never, ever, ever be that way. <laughs> I will never be like my dad uh, yes. in that respect. But actually I became my dad, but and we watched we watched through like the first season with him and then we kind of stopped and then when he died my wife and I were kind of like you know we just kind of kept going almost like out out of dedication to him to finish because he said that the ending was magical and that it was worth it and so we kept going under his his words his prophecy that in fact it would be worth it was it to finish was yeah, it t- totally worth it? Oh, just a worthy, worthy, worthy journey. I got to say, I watched it when I was finishing my exams in graduate school. Mm. It was coming out. I mm-hmm. remember. And mm-hmm. I used to watch it on this. It, I didn't have the cable station that mm-hmm. it was on because it was on sci-fi. Uh. And I actually, I will admit to back in those days on YouTube, you could find all these very sketchy websites that would <laughs> broadcast shows. Oh, nice. Right after they happened. So I remember staying up super late um, till it, just to watch the very last episode. I oh, cried. Yeah. I was so. You're not like, a, you're not a crier. I'm not a crier at all, but 
I just was so into the story mm-hmm. and the fact that it was over. It just like I was sitting in a room by myself, just like <laughs> there's something to be said about the ending of a show and yes. just the way it feels like the uh, uh, probably many people listening have a story of your own about getting attached to a show, either recent or old during mm-hmm. the pandemic in particular. Oh, right. And like what it feels like for a show to end. It's almost like you don't want it to end, but you need it to end as a good story arc. But uh, you know, it's almost like um, you take this journey, people die. I was, I'll tell you right now, by the way, spo- spoiler alert, it's out the window. Okay. The spoilers this are, is, this is an episode assuming that you all have watched Battlestar yeah. Galactica. And if you haven't, cause it, this is like for super fans. If you haven't, trust me, you'll get so deep in the weeds. You won't remember any of these spoilers. <laughs> That's probably the sh- true. The show will pummel you with pointless episodes. <laughs> no, it's like watching 80 movies in a row. That's how long and hard, but like when, when, um, when D mm-hmm. took her own life, Oh gosh. That was like that what? I remember being so shocked by that. They they did not set that up really at all outside of the episode itself mm-hmm. in which it occurred and so it was like whoa. There's well, just there's so many there's so many gaspers that happen in the show but that was a big one for me. Oh, year. was it? Yeah. Okay. Well, so just just to remind everybody if you have listened to Battlestar Gal- or watched Battlestar Galactica and you're listening to us talk about this very old show now, one of the things that um I remember the D character's death because it sort of invites you to ask or invites you to think about how will you respond to calamity mm. and in her and disappointment. Yes. And this one character, long story short, the entire show, these characters are heading toward what, what they think will be this new world. And they discover that, that maybe what they thought, what they hoped for wasn't going to happen. And then this is her response, right? Like it's she's a, just, yeah. it's a parable of the, she'd acad- rather die. it's a parable of the academic journey. I thought being a professor would be, <laughs> you know what? I, oh man. They kept telling me once you go to grad school, it's going to be, and then once you get a yeah, job, yeah. it's going to be, and, and then, then finally and then, it's just and like, then, nope. And then you're in it. middle age and then, and then, and now what? And now Whoa. What? I, now I'm just thinking about her, her story arc as you know kind of like if you think of it metaphorically like mm-hmm. the great resignation many people are are leaving yes long term vocations right. um just because they've just had it even Maybe without a plan i mean i heard that. someone recently say it, sh- it should also be called the great quit in some cases because it's not even like it's not even like yes. some people you know people are willing now to really take some some chances without even having a plan oh yes a friend of mine from graduate school just resigned from a very what I think of as a very prestigious position and then just move to another city to quote, pursue other opportunities. Yeah. Pursue and other I'm, I'm all about it. I'm like, you go. I'm, I'm actually, I'm mad at those people because confession, I'm jealous of them. Oh, so jealous. I'm jealous that I could never pull something like that. I in know. My life. Like there's just no way, but um, I'm cheering them on. But I'm to those people, on. we, so Battlestar, um, Battlestar Galactica, it is Battlestar Galactica, the 2004 reimagined yes. version. Not the 1978 first version. I've seen some clips and there it has its fans, but, oh, not, yes. but not many. Yeah. Uh, comparatively fewer than the reboot, let's say. Yes, because the reboot, you know, to give, I don't know if, if what you were doing in 2004, but um, I remember watching that show as a commentary on a post 9-11 world mm-hmm. um, because one of the powerful things that that show does is put you in the position of rooting for mm-hmm. these revolutionary suicide bombers 
And oh yes. Yeah. And that in, in that time, that was just extraordinary because at that time, many people who were living and working in the United States could never imagine putting themselves in that position. And then all sure. of a sudden you're feeling like this intense sympathy. So sure. it was a very radical yeah. experience for me watching the show. Let's say that three listeners overall who have never watched the show have hung with us up to this point Thanks, in the episode. Guys and gals. Do you give, and them, give them your best, like really short, <clears throat> like who are the main kind of characters and groups and like, what's the kind of like plot arc of this show? Like what is, okay. how, how would you describe it to somebody who's never I'll give seen it, it? I'll give it my best shot. Imagine a world wherein technology um, has advanced so far to the point where um, our technological creations have have de- begun to develop minds of their own. And in oh, fact, pe- people are imagining this for sure. <laughs> yes, Alexa mm-hmm. and Siri. And in fact, those beings decide that they want to live and be self-determining and they go to war with humans. Mm-hmm. And then there's a... Uh, Humans and these creatures called Cylons have this long conflict, and then eventually they come to an uneasy peace. Cylons are the creatures who are like robots, mm-hmm. but they're they're indistinguishable basically from humans. Well, not yet, not early on. Okay. First, they look like oh, these okay. kind of like vaguely humanoid oh, yeah, type yeah, yeah. things. Yes, yes. They yes. go to war, and then you develop this un. You finally decide on this uneasy peace, and then. Many, many years go by, Mm. like almost an entire generation. Mm. Um, And so no one can remember what it was like except for a few people. And then all of a sudden at this longstanding like point of a a peace treaty location, this very beautiful woman comes. And in fact, she is what the Cylons have developed into and basically comes as an agent of destruction and, and and declares total war. Over the humans. Doesn't she kill a baby in one of the episodes? Oh, yeah, she does. She's scary <laughs> and beautiful. And uh, basically the beginning of the show is what if our own creation comes back to destroy us all and then we're just like this little ragtag group of people in these old spaceships running around mm-hmm. try- looking for a new earth. While these Cylons are trying to wipe us out still. Yeah. Now, and it is a depressing, depressing show, and I loved it. Now, here is, yes, and so they're all in this, the, the Battlestar Galactica is one of the spaceships mm-hmm. that they're flying, but there's like a fleet. There are a bunch of other ships, too. Yeah. So a huge portion, I mean, like 98 per, 99% of the show are just like scenes inside the Battlestar Galactica yeah. ship. Yeah, and it's gray and very oh, dark yeah. gritty. and very, yes, it's you have, very You gritty. have an admiral, you have the admiral's son. Adama, yes. It's like a soap Adama. opera. It's a sci-fi soap opera. Also, though, this was something that came up, and I want to hear your response to this as a fan of the show mm-hmm. i almost couldn't get over the fact and this is like this is like just nitpicky like this is the, a thing a very stupid fan would say and i'm gonna say it because that's what i am um <laughs> I'm <gonna> say, <laughs> here's it here it is how is it the case that these ships are like banking right and left and twisting but the people never get like thrown up into the ceiling and so on when these ships are just doing this crazy stuff oh these are the questions i don't ask when i'm watching these. i know shows. I, that's why i say it's stupid that you should it's ask. not a stupid question i'm dumb. sure that there no, is because obviously there's an obvious answer which is like just shut up <laughs> that's the answer right <laughs> I, think the, I think the answer is in such and such a blah blah year people developed yeah, yeah. the yeah. Gravity. Drawn. If they can go light speed, they can figure out how to <laughs> like rotate the internal environment of the ship constantly, <laughs> so that when they're doing barrel rolls, everyone's just standing up straight. Yeah. Well, okay. I will say, what there are many, many questions that we could ask of, of Battlestar Galactica, but I think one of the fun parts about this show is it's it's sort of like a version. It, it reminds me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in this way that it created a 
just legion of fans mm. who were academics who wanted to reflect yes. on the series. So I think one question that I have is like, totally. why did it do that? I mean, I'm one oh, of them. Well, there was just there was just so much there, and they they did so much with it. Now, the immediate I think you've alluded to this already, and if not, let's just bring it in. I mean, the the immediate political context of the show was post 9/11, mm-hmm. and so they were going to do the kind of clash of civilizations theme. They were going to do the religion theme and they were going to do the religious violence theme. They were going to do the competing religions theme. And so you had religious studies scholars who were obviously going to pick up on that. And so yes, that's why, right? Yes. In my somewhat clumsy uh, setup for the show, what I didn't mention is that the humans and the Cylons, while they look alike, have developed oh, yes. these entirely different conceptions of God and gods and the universe. Yes. Summarize, summarize those. What are those conceptions? Well, the humans have a polytheistic world where they have these several different gods that have, um, in in many ways, um, like what, how scholars talk about the ancient world where there are gods of particular planets and locations and geographies. With with at least the names of Greek gods, if not the Greek gods themselves. Yes. And so they kind of, the whole time they're not, it's, it's not a stretch to imagine that this is a version of humanity that's right. developed that our humanity as we experience it. And then, but the Cylons, this new mm-hmm. upstart group, the robots, the robots, they have only one God. They're, they're like monotheists. They I'm are. Sorry. And so that is a real, they almost fun sound like, they almost sound like evangelical Christians at points. They're like, God loves you totally. and how you're rebelling against him. Come back. I think, I think a lot of scholars of, um, ancient religions enjoyed that because it invited you to think about how you would respond to the Christian enterprise, which is this total, you know, seeking to um, it, go throughout the world with this monotheistic message and how strange that would have felt in the ancient world. Totally. I think that was a fun part of the show. I really enjoyed that part of now it. Now look, super fans out there or those who are just getting intrigued by the show, we have a gift for you. Here's the gift. We are just going to check in on a bunch of Battlestar Galactica scholarship by religious studies scholars. And we're going to summarize it for you in ways that we hope is like digestible and interesting and also just serves as a jumping off point to chitter chatter about various aspects of the show. But um, to start us off, we put out a call on social media um, to basically asking if, if anybody out there um, has done actual scholarly research that involved the show. And we got responses. Yes, we have um, some really great stuff Yeah, we have two, two in particular we're going to bring to you. Um, so we'll do we'll do one of these first, and this will kick us off into our own reviews of some things that we found. We're not claiming, by the way, to re- be reviewing the only or best BSG scholarship. There's lots of stuff out there. We just kind of picked some things that we could that find. Caught our eye that caught really our eye. Ca- caught the attention. Okay, so first up. We have Professor Julie Gittinger from Georgia College. Yes, she's got a book that talks about Battlestar called Personhood in Science Fiction, Religious and Philosophical Considerations. So let's hear her talk about that. My book focuses on the notion of personhood. That is, who is a person? What does it mean to be human? Are there some lives more valuable than others? As you might imagine, BSG is one of those shows I spend some time on because these questions are central to the series. Oh, yes, they are. Not only for the oh, Cylons, yes. but for the humans who have survived the nuclear apocalypse and are struggling to continue their very existence. Caprica 6 states a number of times that man's gift to the world is a violence and war. Even Admiral Adama ponders at one point whether we, humanity, deserve to survive. I mean, okay, just pause quick here. you got to love Adama. 
Oh, he's so dour at points. Yes, My yes, favorite yes. Adama moment at one point near the very <laughs> end, he just kind of looks and just in a grumbled voice just goes, some days I really hate this job. Man, <laughs> you know, at the you, height of the you pandemic. You gotta love that. At the height of the pandemic, his office was my Zoom background. Oh, because uh, uh, I was feeling the uh, Adama space. Absolutely. So, for humans to judge cybernetic beings as to whether or not they are quote authentically human or quote a real person is really provocative and insightful. Indeed, it is, Professor Gittinger, um, and it still is. Um, especially, you know, we start talking about the metaverse mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, and what is real. So that's gonna that's that. That question in that book, that's going to keep being a live one, I think. Yes, and I love that Professor Gittinger brought up Caprica 6. So Caprica 6 is that beautiful, in in a noir story, would be a femme fatale mm. um, Cylon creation that is meant to be an agent of humans humanity's destruction mm-hmm. and also is a, um, a harbinger of this new god, this new... Um, monotheistic way of looking at the world. Oh yeah. Um and and seems to in the series be one of the most um tenacious advocates for the humanity of the Cylons. Mm-hmm. Did you buy the arguments that Caprica 6 was making along the way? Well, you know, I she, she's so first of all, she's hard not to like as a character, I thought for me. Oh, not, yes. Notwithstanding the killing of the baby. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm not. They set her up like that to let you know that, that she's dangerous. She's dangerous, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's interesting. She's very confusing, though, too. So I think the confusion of like what it is she even represented or what was even happening and then the fact that she would appear in a visionary sense to one of our favorite characters, Gaius Baltar. Oh, best uh, by far the, uh, the funnest character. In my yeah. Mind. I mean, he, he, he had a way of just like stealing the scenes he was in because <laughs> it was almost like he couldn't say any lines without a little bit of like, kind of like almost winking at the audience with like snark. Like, uh, okay. I will say this about the show too. There was some bad acting in that show. Oh, come on. So bad, but he was good because it was almost I like he knew it was bad and he was just like, okay, I'm going to like, he's kind of like winking at the audience. Like he knows he's he's with some bad acting at some point. So he's going to play it up. He was very funny. Why don't you introduce Gaius as a character and how Gaius relates to Caprica six and this whole thing about personhood. So in the mini series, which is this thing that kind of kicks it off where they actually do destroy the earth like planet people are living on, which is not earth. He is like romantically involved with six, which is that, you know, six actually just goes by that number. These Cylons have numbers. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and just go with this. And she's on the planet Capricorn. Yeah. Anyway, that's so he's a scientist though. Like he's a hyper, he's like the scientist, atheist, rationalist guy, but he takes a journey. Oh, he does. Oh, he does. Because, um, he just does some, he, he's just a bizarre, he's almost like a kind of like a joker of a character who kind of comes in and does some weird things, but he becomes a religious zealot later and leads a cult within the, uh, leads a new religious movement. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Within <laughs> the ship, which is yes. like mostly has female devotees whom he also has um, relationships with. As many new religious movement leaders have been known to right. do. Yes. I, Gaius Baltar is a really fascinating character because the whole time, I think what makes him so much fun is the whole time he has realized really early on that he is pretty much directly responsible for humanity's demise. Well, yeah, he, he kind of, he's, he's like the, yeah, he, he's like the connection of the Cylon to basically 
everything. Let it all in. And, let it happen. But he doesn't real. He doesn't want anybody else to know that. So a lot of the the no that would shows, be a, that would be a bad, bad secret to be yeah. revealed. Yes. A lot of the shows comic relief have to, has to do with him <laughs> trying to hide that fact. It's it's quite funny. Which now, it sounds very weird and depressing now that I'm saying it. But one of the things yes. the conversations that he is in with Caprica Six a lot has to do with. Um, the Cylons quest to become human, which is a really fascinating or to be considered human. And one of their primary means for doing that is through reproduction. They love, they are obsessed with, they it. they love sex. The Cylons are really into it. And the, they want like to more make than children. more than usual. Yes. They, they, they love babies. Children. It's very, That's what it's, they want. it's very baby oriented. It is really fascinating. So Caprica six is, uh, she has, has this on her mind, but then you find out that the, all of the Cylons do because for many of them in their minds to be human is to right. create, to have a baby. And so when they can start having babies or hybrid babies or whatever, that's a big deal. They get yeah. excited about that. There's okay. a lot of plot, okay, plot now, lines with that. We have, okay, we're going to bring you a few pieces of scholarship here. Yes, so, so much that can be said. Mm -hmm. I had some honorable mentions. Like I found one on um, religious science fiction and women in Battlestar Galactica. Ooh, so that was yes. really good. I found a, an article called Religion in a Sort of Global Sense, The Relevance of Religious Practices for Political Community in Battlestar Galactica. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I found a whole book on the theology of Battlestar Galactica um, or using Battlestar Galactica to talk about Christian theology. Here's the one. Here's the first one I want to review. It is called... The Eternal Return, Gnosticism and Battlestar Galactica, because Ooh, this is one of the big yeah. themes. Um, the author here, um, pro I'm probably mispronouncing the name, Zuleya um, Çetiner Oktem. It's a Turkish scholar at a Turkish university in Turkey, and um, at least according to her academia profile. Shout out to you and this yes. great article. Um, okay, so basically one of the lines in the show, which you know, one of its most haunting concepts all this has happened before and all of it will happen again. Yes. Okay. So the show toys with this idea of a cyclical kind of history, not unlike the reboot of Twin Peaks. Oh my. Brian's call maybe all time favorite. Call, call back to um, an episode we did on Twin Peaks a long time ago. I can't remember what it's called, whatever. So, um, okay. What, what she wants to say is this, this, this is a complicated article. She's like, Okay, there are lots of concepts of the eternal return notion mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. philosophy and religious studies scholarship. Two of the most, she, she uses two of the most famous ones, Friedrich Nietzsche and also Murchi Eliade, University of Chicago, 20th century, oh, yeah. to say yeah. actually these are two different, there are two different types. So the Nietzschean return, she wants to say, is more like the Cylon thing because Nietzsche's famous return, uh, eternal return thing which is an aphorism 341 in the gay science goes like this. And I think we've actually brought this up on the show a long time ago. He, Nietzsche says, what if someday or night a demon were to steal after you in your loneliest loneliness and say to you, this life as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live once more and innumerable times more. And there will be nothing new in it. Just the same thing over and over again. I'm leaving the quote now. He's like, would you embrace that or would you want to die? And he's almost suggesting that the, the more heroic thing would be to embrace it. Like that's what you do in the face of meaninglessness and repetition. Mm, you just mm -hmm, say, mm -hmm. I love it. I love my life. This is great. Right. She says that's like the Cylons basically it's okay. like that because um, that's a Cylon thing. She says, because it's the same life over and over the human condition. She says, on the other hand, it's more like Iliade's theory because it's more like patterns of recurrence. It's not an individual who's doomed to live over and over again. Um, humans imitate the gods. They become sacred. So before the nuclear attack, um, 
She's like, it's it's like humans are living in what Iliade would have called like profane time. Mm -hmm. Iliade made a big deal about the sacred and the profane as being like a core religious concept. And, um, but when they have to go up in the ship and do that, they enter sacred time and they become more godlike. So the mm. idea of the return for Iliade is not so much like you live the same thing over and over and over and over again, but rather like you get, you take part in this cycle in which humans become godlike through some kind of way. So that's, there's more to it than that. Yeah. But that's, yeah. that's the core of that one. Really enjoyed it. That's my first one. Okay. okay. Why, are we, let's, let's trade back and forth. Why don't you do Oh, sure. Now? Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one that I thought, I, and I'm just gonna just throw out one of the one of the ideas from it yeah. um, by um, Barry Bazan, I think is how you uh, say his last name. Uh, America in space: the international relations of Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica. Ooh, a little political science. Yeah. So one yeah. of the most fascinating um, ideas behind um, uh, one of the most fascinating, I think. Forms of analysis that you could do of Battlestar is to compare it to what I think of as a much rosier portrait of humanity and mm -hmm. human nature, which would be Star Trek. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why many people, myself included, enjoy Star Trek is it has this fairly um, idealized notion that people on this little, you know, blue planet get it together. And then they go out and they start exploring the world yeah. and they don't totally destroy themselves. And um, they have this really, it's a very um, typical kind of modernist enjoyment of exploration in the mm. new world. And yeah, you yeah, could yeah. definitely call it colonial for sure. Um, mm. But it also kind of implies that there's this state of peace in humanity. And then Battlestar yeah. is like... We're basically good. We're rational explorers. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Battlestar, not it so is, much. It is, no. And it not is so this frantic, um, really basic struggle for survival. Mm. And also, I think of... The, the kind of rationalism that you see in Star Trek, it's very, it's much rarer to find people who are devout, who are not also in some sort of way problematic uh, to the mission of, of Star Trek. You I know, there see. are a number of, of, of episodes where mm -hmm. someone's ritual or tradition in some way hampers the, right. the overall like... Or it's primitive. It's, it's a primitive yes, practice. Yes. And some they'll come to some planets like, look at these weird primitives exactly. who are worshiping they're a pillar. Doing or this thing, yeah. or you know, and and there's been a lot of critique of that. So I don't want to go down that road too far. But what Battlestar seems to revel in mm -hmm. is this idea that there is constant ideological and religious and political conflict and strife, which is perfectly encapsulated in the musical. Yes. This right. Yes. This says it right there. Like it's it, this it, it frantic. Just, yep. The very yep. the very beginning of it is just this frantic paced like yes. tearing around the universe, <laughs> and and so yeah, the, those are two really different framings. And there's just this big theme of chaos and and destruction. And um and I I was thinking about and I would love to hear your thoughts on when these these series were created. Sure. In in the sixties versus in the early aughts yes and i think that does probably reflect some of the just the feeling oh it must absolutely yeah i, yeah, I don't think you, it's almost like you can't imagine making a show that's anything but like what battlestar is now 
I mean, a lot of these shows now that are popular too are showing people what's this new one on like Showtime Yellow Jacket or something right. like that, the survival. Right. I mean, it's, it's these are it's like it's like um, it's like the um, 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 Lord of the Flies, but for women kind of thing. Yes, and like you know, it's like hey, women are crazy too. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. So I think that that's uh, the darker themes are just. I think are going to, are going to dominate. I mean, this is what people have been like, Oh, but Ted Lasso, you just show like kindness and just like what a naive, like. Yeah. And to that, I would say Tiger King, right? Like there's <laughs> to Ted Lasso. I say, have I watched Ted Lasso? No. And I I'm haven't. not, I'm not going to, I want to see it. Everybody Maybe says it's great, but I haven't, yeah, I know. but I, there was a really great line from, from this article that I wanted to just oh, yeah. put out there for yeah, you. Go for it. Um, space and final frontiers are particularly resonant in American culture. So this is a really interesting mm. um, I, I, key point, I thought. We love, like, in American mythology, this idea of frontier just holds a really totally. fascinating space and totally. contested space. And these two television series provide numerous benchmarks by which to contrast the optimistic and outgoing America of the 1960s and the darker and more paranoid America of post 9-11. And so I just oh. sort of wondered to myself, you know, that we live in an era of constant remakes, which is super depressing because I'd like to see creative new things. But right. if they were going to do a new series, would it be Star Trek or would it be BSG, Battlestar Galactica? Right. Well, cl clearly, clearly the BSG way is... But I'm like, how much more depressing can you possibly get? Oh, I bet, I bet, I bet <laughs> on our slow but sure fall down this ladder, I think there are many rungs that we can hit our heads on. That's my okay. personal take. Okay, next up. Yep. Um, I'm going to look at an essay by Jay Twami. Uh, Jay, if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong, forgive me. This is in Postscripts um, back in 2007. It's called The Five That Remain. Versions of the Messianic in Battlestar Galactica. Mm. I'm going to summarize this one very simply and say that um, the, and I'm just looking at the abstract of the article, I think describes it really well. Um, the author talks about various kinds of, of theorists, um, Walter Benjamin, Derrida, others. Um, and people have written about this idea of the Messianic or Messiah figures. And the author here claims that each instance of the Messianic moves, Battlestar Galactica's narrative puts forward the consistency with which the series undermines any and all messianic pretensions provides an intriguing critical opportunity to reflect upon the theopolitical. Basically he's saying, look, this, this series, Battlestar Galactica is clearly taking issue with the messianic American discourse of the Bush years. Oh yeah. Like this idea that there's an axis of evil, that we are the heroes and we're yes. going to go out and defeat them. I think that's exactly right. Um, I think that's and he analysis. says, basically he says, how does Battlestar do this quite simply? I mean, I'm sure you can think of examples and he's got these in the article. We'll post all this stuff, of course, in the mm -hmm. episode description. He's like, the show seems to float various messianic contenders, Apollo, Right. Maybe Gaius at some points. Mm -hmm. Starbuck. Starbuck, yes. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, even even the Admiral, Colonel Ty, whomever. President, um, oh my goodness, uh, I'm yes. blanking on her last Yes, name. the yes. President. Yes. And yeah, you got to look that up. Um, and But basically, what does the show do? It undermines all of these and basically shows you Rosalind. that- Pr President, President Ro Rosalind, Rosalind. I of course, I President love Rosalind, her. love her, yes. Anyway, uh, but all of these, all of these get undermined. He argues, and really, so the show is saying, like, the messianic quest is basically it's 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 not going anywhere. I in, wonder in, in that show, and that and that it's a political commentary. 
Mm, that's I love that as a jumping off point to think about. Is there does there end up being a messiah right. figure? He also points out this is fascinating. He quotes um, the 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 New York Times is a famous conservative columnist that they retain to just battle everybody there. Ross Douthat, he's a Catholic, and um, <laughs> he quotes Ross Ross Douthat in here. Um, I read Ross Ross Douthat's co- columns. I like him. Um, but he's he's talking about the way that Ross Douthat tried to make a claim that the that Battlestar Galactica is kind of like pro conservative because oh what uh, because um, and I'm quoting here from the article um, he tries to say that Ross Douthat currently the conservative op-ed columnist for the New York Times wrote that one of the most interesting things about BSG is that quote the fundamentalists in both faiths have a tendency to be proved right and the skeptics wrong prophecies are fulfilled in ancient scrolls prove accurate. And the religious choice in any given situation is likely to be the right one. The series, what? quote, overarching premise, according to Douthat, is the idea at once old fashioned and subversive that human history has an author. So he goes, you know, and he says, well, I don't think that the show's authors think that. Yes. Da, 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 but blah, blah, blah. So that, you know what I think that proves most of all is what? that it was a very important show in its time. The fact that that a lot of people right. would try to claim it right. for themselves right. in some kind of way, because I don't actually think that it's a particularly conservative show, but, uh, well, maybe conservative is the wrong view, but you see, he's saying it's a, it's a show that's pro traditional religious faith that the skeptics, I mean, isn't he right about I, that? In the I terms don't think of the plot? it's pro traditional religious faith. The skeptics, I think, the skeptics are wrong. The ancient scrolls, think, the prophecy no. is true in the show. Uh, but no, but yes and no. It's true and it's not, right? So, like, in certain interpretations of it are true. Like, the, there yeah. is, like, an arc to... The to ending to the show, the last episode, certainly takes it in a direction that is at, at once satisfying, but also deeply, I thought, disturbing. Yeah, I didn't really know how to interpret the end. Starbucks disappearance bothered me because I, I thought, that was, you know, we've just that waited was not for good. this That character. was not good. They should not have done that. That was a mistake. Not just because I... Love Katie Sackhoff, but mostly because I just thought this, I didn't understand how this connects and, to the whole thing but, because there were yeah. other things like when, when president Rosalind died, which now that I think about it, maybe she's the most messianic figure. She's, sure. she's talking common sense the entire time. Sure. Like at the very beginning when they're, everything's been destroyed. She says something really profound. We just need to start having babies. I think is what she says yep. because she realizes we're going to have to completely start over. And she's one of the first people right. who comes to that conclusion. Right. Everybody else is just in shock and whatever. And then she gets her people right. to a place and then she dies. But, um, so I like, I like that character. Now a lot. we should also point out that when professor Payne here mentions that when Starbucks refers to when Starbucks disappeared, we're speaking literally, she, she just literally disappears. just disappears in the yeah, last episode. I'm sure anybody who watched that With show remembers no explanation, that. Like, what just was like, that about? Oh, I guess she was an angel or something. They never said. Well, quite that exactly. gets to the last scholarly article that I had, which is, um, a, a, an article by, um, Van Leavenworth called Making Starbuck Monstrous, The Poetics of Othering in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, fancy. Which um, frames Starbuck in part as a monster, which since really? you're an expert on ancient monsters, oh, I yeah. thought this would be a fun one. Hybrid to talk identity, about with you. hybridization. What is she? That's, yeah, that's a monster it's not totally clear. And so there's here's one quote from toward the end of the article. This suggests that the contemporary monster is a necessary bulwark against ideological uncertainty in fearful societies and is perhaps and it is perhaps this dynamic that makes Starbucks 
illogical disappearance in the final episode, understandable, colon, the human silent society that appears to have resolved this crisis no longer needs her. I, I get it in a way. Um, Do you know what I felt like what? when I read that? What? I thought this person is making more sense of it than the authors did. Well, this is, you know, this, and I appreciate it, this happens. Well, this is why when, when I was watching that fateful, fateful, fateful show that was airing around the same time, namely lost, lost that uh, I would, I, I ran to online discussion forums to try to like the show more that I was hooked on and had to continue watching because <laughs> I was like, I liked the fan theories more than the show. Yes. Yes. Um, no, that's exactly. Yeah. I, I thought that that was sort of how when people explain Yellow Submarine by the Beatles, mm. I'm like, you're trying to make it make sense. I don't think it yeah. actually does. But um, but I appreciated the argument. I thought, yeah, that's a beautiful analysis of how monsters function in our mm. society and how we make monsters well, out of just, others. Even just the idea, regardless of the monster thing, just that the idea was they didn't need Starbuck anymore. And she did seem to bear quite a bit of emotional weight on the show. Mm -hmm. She seemed to bear relational relationship fantasies of some of, of two particular men on the show, mm -hmm. but particularly one of the main male protagonists in his tortured way. And, um, it almost makes her seem very tragic. She, she became, especially in the second half of the show, like seasons three and four, like very tortured. She I, was always tortured, but she, it, it got like to the point where you're just like this path of pain she is on. It's almost like not. Bearable. Yeah. I don't like seeing her that way because I liked her so much as a character and I didn't want to see her as just having instrumental value. Like Adama mm. needs a daughter. So here yeah, she is, is yeah. this and Lee needs well, like, a lover and yeah. here she is, is this. And I'm yeah. like, I don't want to see her like that. I want to see her as her own, but they did keep person, doing that. but Mm. All right. Anyway, okay, we have one more cool scholar. Okay, let's do our layouts. Do our next scholar check-in. This is Dr. Shana Scheinfeld of the University of Michigan. Yay! And Dr. Scheinfeld investigates Jews and Christians in antiquity. We asked, how did she get involved in thinking as a scholar about Battlestar Galactica? When I was in grad school, I watched the show for the first time with my partner as an escape from schoolwork. Oh yeah. Same. Little did I know what I would find. <laughs> Religion is everywhere in this show. Totally. I was especially intrigued with the interaction between the monotheistic Cylons and the polytheistic humans. It reminded me of reports on the interactions between polytheists and Jews or Christians in antiquity. Mm. But it wasn't until the episode in season four titled Escape Velocity that the show really clicked with my own research. Oh, this is Gaius In that Baltar. episode, Gaius Baltar is now a kind of prophetic figure proclaiming a version of the Cylon monotheism for humans. A, a very bizarre twist in the show. Yes. Right? His group of followers is violently attacked by some polytheistic humans, and in response, he leads his followers to disrupt a polytheistic worship service. He goes in, yelling at the priestess, tossing incense and statuettes about, and I thought, Abraham does this. Mm. Oh, Abraham, book of Genesis. Yes. Oh, I see where this is going. In some non-canonical and rabbinic texts Yes, this is not in the Bible, but in the tradition around Abraham. Mm -hmm. Abraham challenges the basis of polytheism. And that's why God chooses him to begin with, which the Bible never explains. And even destroys some idols. Both Baltar in Battlestar Galactica and the patriarch Abraham in some ancient Jewish texts are portrayed as trailblazing monotheists in their largely polytheistic worlds. Both figures become proclaimers of the one true God. 
I mean, how cool is it that some contemporary science fiction can reflect and help us better understand ideas that are present in ancient texts and vice versa? Oh, very cool. I love this uh, as a form of analysis. Absolutely. I, because... It, nice job on that one. Yes. Both Professor... Thank you, Dr. Scheinfeld. Professor Gittiger and Dr. Scheinfeld, thank you so much for sending us these. Yes. Uh, lots, lots of fun with, with both of those. But, but this, the, one, this yeah. one is fun to me because I like thinking about how in the in um, the Bible, how there is a motif of the surprising leader. Like mm-hmm. you would not expect if you just watched the pilot episode mm-hmm. of Battlestar to get to the uh, Gaius as this prophetic figure you would not expect that mm-hmm. no, no no like totally it's, corrupt it's such a strange i mean it's a perfect kind of thing but okay this thing about monotheism and polytheism yes. though um i was really intrigued by this and i tried to do some research and i even found an article about monotheism and polytheism and the politics of it in Battlestar. um and it's in oh, the journal fun. of contemporary religion 2008 it's, it's called research note rejecting monotheism polytheism pluralism and Battlestar galactica by chris clausen teaches at a canadian university and um, basically the claim, so the producers of the show, and one of them in particular in this interview on BeliefNet or somewhere, made the claim that the, the monotheism versus polytheism on the show was a deliberate commentary on the intolerance of monotheism in the wake of 9-11. But the author of the article says, eh, the show's polytheism is actually not really that tolerant. She says, uh, and I'm quoting from the article, what's largely missing in one of the show's producers, Mr. Moore's account of polytheism, is the representation of a diversity of equally valuable choices, and in particular, of diverse religious systems. The lords of Cobal are multiple deities, but they're all related. They're part of one system. Mm-hmm. So she says it's more like uni-polytheism. So yeah, she basically I think says, that's right. The polytheism's not that tolerant. The monotheism's not that tolerant. Neither of them are very tolerant. Well, I think that's what makes the show quite interesting. And yeah. it's sometimes, you know how when you hear people talk about your art, or mm-hmm. their art, yeah. it's a little bit like, oh, you know. Because <laughs> I actually thought that one of the strengths of the show is that it it demonstrates that no one has the upper hand when it comes to some kind of moral claim that's based in their belief system. Mm-hmm. Everyone is yeah. is sort of at sea right. in this world. So I think that, and the reason why I think that that's so fun in the show is because it adds so much tension. You know, you don't, you don't actually know who you should be rooting right. for because they give you the opportunity to identify with each of the, parties Mm -hmm. and that's what makes it exciting and you're not really clear totally you know there's tension there and that's what you want in a show right you don't want to just know exactly who you should be rooting for all the time and this this monotheism versus polytheism thing evokes one of the biggest and almost like unanswerable questions in the history of religion i think something that a few people have taken a shot at but it's really tough to discuss because it's so big and it's so hard to get a handle on it which is like it seems like there were polytheisms different kinds of polytheism that really flourished in the ancient world but today, it's harder to find flourishing polytheism. Certainly, you take like the big three, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, um, all monotheistic, although people could claim that Christianity has smuggled in some some kind of Multi-God like- Multi-God thing you know, going on. Which yeah, Christians, of course. Which Christians, of course, deeply deny. But um, I mean, that's the charge from at least um, Islam you know, in the Quran. Oh, in and fact, there, are multiple Christ- times. there are non-Trinitarian Christians who would argue the same non-Trinitarian thing. Non-Trinitarian Christian groups, exactly. So uh, yeah, so I thought to myself, wow, like that's a big one. Like, do you, do you even have a, do you, can you even take a crack at that? Like why has monotheism, why has monotheism won the market of religious ideas to the extent that it has? I don't know if I, I would have to think about that a little longer if I think that that's true. Fair. Um, and 
So I don't know if I would grant that. But one thing that I do think is, is when it comes to religious studies, I would think I would say that that's true (laughs) because religious studies has been dominated by, for the most part, European Protestants for a good portion of its history. Like it was created by them and then maintained um, by them. And, and as the gatekeepers, their, the narrative of what a religion is, like mm-hmm. what even counts as a religion, mm-hmm. and then what is a, the better form of religion for a long time favored a certain like articulation of monotheism. So I think that, that is probably true. Yeah, I think it's probably also true that as you get like bigger and more organized empires, that monotheism... There's a practical... Or, yeah, it works better because it's just clearer if you're like, here's the emperor, here's the god. The emperor sure, is yeah. the god. I think sociologists would say, yeah, of course, you know. Right. And even even if we would look at, at it like as an economy, mm-hmm. you know, markets tend to consolidate as they mature. Yep. You know, you might be able to argue that. Yep. But I don't know. I mean, because I, I think that what, you know, you brought up a good point about smuggling in Trinitarian ideas. Like, I think then we'd have to ask ourselves, have we really... Uh, uh, is that... Uh, even if you claim to be monotheistic, do you function in that kind of a way? Sure. Or, so. being, or being monotheistic doesn't mean that people don't have need for plurality or diversity yeah, in their spiritual yeah. lives. People, wow. do, um, people do still have those kinds of needs even within a monotheistic system. BSG took us into deep territory in, in like pretty fast. I'm so glad I watched. I'm so glad you did too. Thanks for listening, weirdos. For more, find us on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and our website, weirdreligion.com. Keep it weird. Yes.